we have an awesome, awesome word coming forth this morning. So without further delay, let's welcome Reverend Bruce Veneta. Thank you, Mom. Good morning. Please, please be seated. Let's start with a prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises that you give us in your word. Lord, we thank you that uh, you will meet each one of us at our point of need, and you know exactly what our needs are, every need represented in this room today. Jesus, you said you know the number of hairs on our head, and we know that number changes many times even throughout one day. So as your way of telling us that you are constantly, continually aware of every single detail in our life, even the small, minute ones that we don't even know about. So Lord, we just thank you for that. We pray that each one of us would leave here touched by you, Holy Spirit changed, and brought closer to who you want us to be. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So in communion, uh, as Norm was reading there in Corinthians, one of the main steps, one of the, basically the first steps in communion is repentance. It can be said that uh, in the Gospels, John the Baptist came first, and the first word of the Gospel really is repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, right? And Jesus came and he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And the disciples came and they said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repentance, uh, in fact, it talks about in uh, another spot in Corinthians that godly sorrow godly sorrow and how that leads into repentance. So somebody, you know, we can, uh, we do a lot of ministry in jails and people stand up to receive Jesus and when you talk to them and you kind of work through what's going on and it doesn't, it's not just in jails but just in general, sometimes people will receive Jesus like a genie in a bottle and say, I just want it for all the good things and I don't want to say I'm sorry for anything I've done that's wrong. And that's just kind of their attitude. There's no repentance there. And so uh, that's a real uh, thin ice. That's a real dangerous place to be. When we repent, it opens up the door for God to do amazing things. When we truly repent and we truly have godly sorrow for our sins, it opens up the door for the Lord to do amazing things. And I just want to share some of the things so, that we saw in Honduras. And one of the major biggest things that we saw God do kind of centered around uh, from my angle, some repentance that had to happen. Uh, our team, and I think this morning, so Joan is here, Joan, raise your hand, and Leah's here, so it was me and Joan and Leah, and Todd's not here, I don't think, so there was four of us from this church. There was a group of actually uh, 13 people that we went to Honduras. So this will be the fourth year that I was I was there and third year when we were going down to do a crusade and, and working with this other ministry, Heart to Heart Ministries based out of Carson, Washington. They've got a school, they've got an orphanage, they've got a clinic, and they've got a church. So there's four things that they do in Port of Cortez, Honduras. And so we went down, uh, we sent a group ahead of us the first week and I'd done some research over the, over the uh, last few years, and the numbers of people we were getting the crusade was eh, right around that 1,000 mark, 1,100 mark. I think we did just under 12 one night. was our best night going into this year. And so I wanted to, to uh, research and see how some of these other ministries got in 5, 10, 15, 20,000 people at crusades. And what I found was there's a common thread, a common theme, 
when they do crusades in any kind of third world country, if they get a lot of people there, they always, always, always do something first. And that is humanitarian aid before the crusade. And the more money that they spend on the front side, the more people show up. So the more food they give away for the first couple weeks, or the more missions teams for medical, medical teams, or whatever they do, the more of that they do on the front side, the more people that will come to crusade and hear about Jesus. Because somebody said, you know, Jesus gives you this, we're giving you this food in the name of Jesus, or we're doing this, this medical work for you in the name of Jesus, or whatever it is. And it gets them curious, well, who is this Jesus and what he's about? So then it, it, it encourages them to come to the crusade. And so because of that, we decided this year that we would try that. And so a week in advance of the crusade and our team going down, we had people go down. We spent like $3,000 on food to give away to the poor people in the surrounding area around Porto Cortez. And it definitely did help bring people in. It definitely brought a lot of people into the church. And a lot of people heard about the message that wouldn't have. So part of what we did was before we went, we'd sent the food down and the people got to get the food in the name of Jesus. So that was the first part of the trip. We did a three-day uh, pastors and leaders conference. And uh, there was oh, a little over 100 people. So just pastors and leaders. So if you can touch the pastors and if you can touch the leaders, it's going to be a snowball effect, right? They're going to take the message out and take it to wherever they're going. And what they're doing with their congregation and their circle of influence, whether it's a small church or a big church, and we can... We do that just because we know there's a multiplication factor there. When you touch the pastors and you touch the leaders, that is going to multiply and grow. So Joan was, uh, we, we did it partially as a group, as the men and women together, and then we broke out men and women separate, and, and uh, Joan was teaching, and I was teaching, and Bruce Carlson taught a day that another gentleman, and so we had split it up. So that was the first part of what we went down and did. Uh, then we did some prison ministry, went to the local prison, uh, and, you know, just, just gave them the gospel message. We also brought food to them. And we did some, uh, we went to one village. It wasn't necessarily a really super poor village as some of the villages we've been to before. Actually, it was a pretty, in, in their, in terms of what they had, it was pretty nice, uh, comparatively. Uh, so we did some, uh, village ministry. We, they've, like I said, they've got an orphan, orphan care, uh, an orphanage. They don't like to call it an orphanage. They like to call it a village. Children's Village. They don't like to use the word orphanage because they want to say it's it's a family, and so they don't want the children to be called orphans because they've got a family there. So they, what what they would call their village, people here would call the orphanage, and so we were there. We ministered to the children, um, and at the last thing we did this year was a con was this crusade. And typically we've done in the past a three day crusade, but this year uh, we did a little bit different, and we did a, a two day crusade. Now during the pastors and leaders conference, what we had done as for Sweetbread Ministries, so for those of you who might be here today and don't know about Sweetbread Ministries, it's a ministry that my wife and I started after the accident happened. After my accident happened in 2006, we started this 501c3 nonprofit, and one of the things that we did was in preparation for this trip, and we've done it in years past, we sent down books. So we wanted all the pastors and leaders to have, uh, what we sent this year was the newest book, the one that just came out a couple months ago, A Miraculous Life. So we sent ahead $2,500 our cost worth of books so that the, every pastor and every leader that showed up would have one of these books in their hand and they could share the, the principles, the biblical principles in this book for victory, a life of victory, a miraculous life with their congregation. So when I got to teach on the day of the pastor's crusade or pastor's conference and leader's conference, I, I, taught out of that. So it's nice because our publisher 
does in, also does the book in Spanish. So that's what we had sent ahead. We sent, you know, hundreds of books in Spanish ahead. So they had it so they could open it up and, and go along with where I was at. And so the, I, there's five different weapons that God gives us for miraculous life, for victorious life. And one of them is the authority. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, he says in Matthew 28. And then in Luke 10, he says, now I have given you that authority, go and use it. So I taught on authority the day that, and I, and I chose authority for the weapon. I had one thing that I could speak on just because of time. And I chose authority because I think it is the least, the least used, the least known weapon in the church today. So that's the one I chose on because I thought, that what's the one I chose? I felt the Lord lead, lead me to because, again, it's the least known one. So uh, I was using this, and I, we went through, and I, I taught authority on whatever chapter it is. And before I forget, as long as it's in my hand, I'm going to use it as a uh, reminder for myself. My wife and my kids, at the end of this service, are going to be in the back. We've got a table. We've got this book, plus we've got, I think, maybe a, what, a total of five or six different books. Now, in the, in the church uh, bookstore here, they've got this newest book, and they've also got the first book. But there's other books that I'm a part of that I've written a chapter in or written some of that, that aren't in here. And so the only time that if you're ever going to get those books, and they're not... They are on like Amazon, and they are at some Christian bookstores, but we brought them today. Just Pastor asked, when I talked to Pastor Matt last night, he said, you know, are you going to bring the books? Just because uh, it's been a long time since we've brought any of that stuff, and some of those books have never been here. There's books on the table that nobody's ever seen before, probably. And so we brought the full, the full arrangement of different books, and they're all minister resources, and part of what we do in the ministry is send this, give the stuff away for free. I probably, some of you have heard... At the end of last year, it was just a tick under $10,000, like $9,900, around $9,900 of books that we gave away over and above, over and above the ones that we sold. So we, it cost the ministry last year, let's say around $10,000. It cost us almost $10,000 to have the books because that's how many thousands that we give away Homeless shelters, orphanages, jails. We give a lot to jails and prisons around the whole United States. My wife can tell you that every week, every single week, we get letters in the mail from jails and prisons around the United States from somebody who's read the book. And uh, so that's part of what we do. And that's So when you buy one from our ministry, what you've done is you've bought one for yourself and you bought one that you, we can give away. That's what you do. You buy one for yourself that you can use as a ministry resource, and then you've bought one that you can give away, that we can give away. And then even, even doing that, we still were almost $10,000 behind last year just in that. So we sent down these books into Honduras, and in, they were in Spanish, so they could go through, and it was, it was cool. And I'm going to just share one little thing from the pastor's conference. At the very end of the pastor's conference, what we did the last couple hours is we were going to invite people forward for hands-on prayer. And we got this big group of people, like 12, 13 people on our team. We're going to split up and pray for people. Well, there was a, uh, church leaders, uh, a husband and wife that had to catch a bus. Most of the people there don't have cars. I mean, like here, almost everybody's got a car, at least one car in their family. Like almost nobody has cars there in their family. It's rare. You've got to be somebody that's rich in order to have in order to have a uh, car, you've got to be a f- very, uh, you know, in their terms, not what we would say here, but you've got to be rich in their terms to have a car because everybody else is stuck with public transit. So these, these, uh, these pastors and leaders, there was one that came forward, a husband and wife, and the wife had a, a sling on, 
And she said, can you pray real quick before we go? Because we got to catch a bus that's going to be coming through here. And we need to get out of here. And we're not going to be able to stay for prayer. And so we just brought him to the front real quickly. And it was right before we were supposed to pray over the whole place. And she said she had had an accent. She couldn't move her arm. She had about this much movement in her arm in the sling. That was about, that's about how much she could move it. It hurt all the way from her shoulder down through. And it had been months and months that are, you know, immobile. And so she was saying, telling us about all the things that she couldn't do anymore because she only had one arm that she could use. So we prayed using the authority, like I just got done teaching on. We prayed in the name of Jesus and commanded the arm to be healed in the name of Jesus. And the woman instantly, the pain went away first. And within like 30 seconds, all of a sudden, she could move her arm and she was completely healed. So she stands up and she's moving her arm and we're saying, well, do something you couldn't do before. And she's saying, I'm doing it. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't do this at all before. And so what we did was we had her come to the front and give her testimony before she left. We had her give her testimony to the whole place, like say a hundred and, you know, whatever were there to say, this is what God did for me. And so, and, and I want you to just think about that because that's going to, that same scenario is going to replay again during the message that I'm talking about today. It's, it's what God did that day. He did a miracle for this woman so that she could share it with the other people and their faith could be raised up. And Joan can tell you, when we, and, and Leah could tell you the same thing, when we then began to invite people forward for prayer, miracles were happening easy, weren't they? Their, the people's faith was raised up and they were believing that the stuff that Joan had taught them was true. The, the, they had heard, you know, previously my testimony that God had really healed me and, and then they saw it with their own eyes right there. This woman gets healed. God heals her. And so I took a picture of her, you know, whipping her sling around and holding it up and stuff. And it was, it spoke volumes because she's got this sling, right? And it's not on her arm anymore. She's able to move it around. So God used that to raise people's faith up in the place. Uh, so this crusade, as I said, it's the third year that we've actually done, the third year that we've actually done a crusade. The first year we did it in a uh, high school, and then the second year we did it in a baseball stadium, and now this year we did it in a soccer stadium. And every year it's grown. Every year it's gotten bigger and bigger. Um, the first year we had a few hundred people. The, uh, like, I don't remember, like maybe three or four hundred people the first year. And then the second year, which would have been last year at the baseball stadium, we had a maximum of like 11, 1,200 people per night. And now this year, the first night of the crusade, now the place held like uh, in the seats like 7,000, let's say 7,000 something seats in the place. And so they filled up the seats. So we had, they kind of, we're, we're trying to come up with this, you know, it's hard to count all those people. So we were guesstimating, we're having people count sections. The, the minister that we worked with, heart to heart, they've got uh, one of the pastors and another pastor and a couple associate pastors. So it's a kind of a large church and they were breaking up and they were having people count sections. And so what we had collectively come up with was there was approximately the first night, 7,000 people inside the stadium. And at that point, they shut the gate. And they wouldn't let anybody else in. And what we were told was, they were guessing 2,000 people were outside. Behind, this, behind the big bleacher system, there was 2,000 people that had the street filled up. In fact, they filled that street up so much, I was told, that was the reason why the second night of the crusade, the police came and they blocked that street off so that you couldn't drive through there because the first night, that was solid people. Because it's kind of like on a city block, the way this thing is set up. So, uh, the first year... When we uh, came in and we did the crusade, right when I, I gave my testimony and Bruce Carlson, and for those of you who are not familiar with that name, Bruce Carlson is the guy who God sent from across the United States 
from New York to come pray for me in the hospital when I'm dying in the hospital because I didn't have enough intestines left. So Bruce Carlson comes from New York, prays for me, a creative miracle happens, God gives me several feet of small intestine, it's the reason why I'm alive today. So that's the guy. And we travel together different times. Well, so the first year we did the crusade, I give my testimony, and we did basically kind of the same routine every night, but I give my testimony, and then Bruce Carlson would come up to give the salvation message and invite anybody who wants to accept Jesus into their heart as Lord and Savior to do it. And right as he gets up to do it, we're in this high school auditorium with a tin roof. Right as he gets up to do it, it started raining so loud, so hard, that it was so loud in a tin that nobody could hear him over the microphone. Nobody could hear him over the microphone. And it was like, we're talking like within like a 30-second, one-minute window of perfect timing so that people couldn't hear the salvation. So they heard, they, they heard about it, but as he's about to ask them to receive, that's when it starts raining out of the blue so hard. And so it was a low number because they just couldn't hear him. I mean, he was completely drowned out. So last year at the crusade, now we're at a baseball stadium. And um, I get up, I give my testimony, and it's Bruce's turn. He's going to come up. He's going to give the salvation message. And he's standing there. He's giving a salvation message. Now, we've worked enough. We've uh, traveled together enough. Literally hundreds of services we've done together. So I know what he's about to say before he's going to say it because I've heard him say it so many times in different ways, you know. And it, always, it's not always a rote, exact thing, but he's got different paths that he'll go down. And I know he's going, when he goes this way, I know what's coming down that road. And if he goes this way, I know what's coming down that road. So we, you know, we both know each other. And he's, he's given the salvation message. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, he's got to stop right now and give the salvation message right now. It was urgent. It was urgent. He's got to do it right now. Well, when you work with someone, especially in front of a group, in front of a crowd, the last thing you want to do is interrupt them. It wouldn't be uh, respectful, right? The last thing you want to do is stop them while they're in their flow. And the Holy Spirit is saying, he's got to do it right now. He's got to do it right now. So I'm torn as to what to do, right? I'm torn as to what to do. So I stood up from where I was at, and I went and stood next to him. And he kind of looked at me like, what are you doing? You know, you don't usually do that. And I gave him one of these, you know, <laughs> Like, come on, get it to do it, get it going, right? But I didn't say anything. I just, you know, like, come on. And he kind of gave me that funny look and, you know, like, whatever, I'm going to, you know, I'm not done yet. I'm still doing my thing. And so he's doing his thing. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, he's one minute. Now we got a baseball stadium. We got, let's say, 1,100, 1,200 people in there. All of a sudden, the electricity goes out on that whole side of the city. Our lights go out and the microphone is dead. So we're in the dark, and there's not one person in there, maybe the first 20 people right in front of him, that can hear him say what he needed to say to receive Jesus. So we lost the opportunity that night for those 1,100 people or those 1,200 people to receive Jesus. God knew that the electricity was going to go off, right? And he warned me. He said, he's got to do it now. That's what he said. He's got to do it now. And I was like, I wanted to say, hey, Bruce, Bruce, you got to do it now. But because, you know, there's the pride issue, there's all these different things mixed in it. I was scared. And it was like, I'm thinking this really is, I really think this is God. I do think this is God, but I, I didn't do it. I wasn't obedient. Bottom line is this, I was not obedient. And because I was not obedient, we had 1,100, 1,200 people that didn't get an opportunity to receive Jesus. Bottom line, that's it, because of my disobedience. And I was really just, tore, just 
angry at myself, really angry at myself. And I told him about it later, and I said, that's why I was doing, you know, you know, and he's like, well, you should have said, you should have told me. I'm thinking, well, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? It was a disobedience issue. I had not been obedient to what God had told me to do, and God knew that the power was going to go out on that whole side of the city. Now, who caused the rain the first year, and who caused the power to go out? He did, Right? Obviously, that's what he was trying to do. He's working against salvation, working against what we're trying to do. So now we go into the third year of the crusade. It's this year. We, in order to bring, so we were, again, the reason why we went from three days to two days was enough, this was the reason. Money, because what we did was we wanted to get as many people in this place as we could. And so we thought, well, what's going to draw people? And again, we used some, just some uh, investigative work and looked at different ways and different, you know, we, we knew that in order to get a lot of people in there, if we, like if we were going to, let's say, get fifteen or 20,000 people, we're going to invest a lot of money on the front side in humanitarian aid, whether it be through the food or the medicine or whatever, to get them to come. And we didn't have those funds. We didn't have those funds available. So we looked at some other things. And one thing that some people will do is they'll do like attractions, things to invite people. So to get people excited and make them want to come. And so what we ended up doing was we got two different, very, very popular Christian and secular, both they're Christians that do Christian music with a little bit of secular too, but they're Spanish singers. In fact, supposedly like the two top Spanish singers for, for Christian music, like the top two period in Central America, South America, like the top two. And we had one one night and one the other night. And that's what really got the people in. Well, what also it did was amazing was this. Because of their names are so well known, there's only one cable company in Honduras. For cable television, it's, there's not a choice. You've got one cable company. And this one cable company, when they heard who the, who the singers were going to be, they came to the pastor who's running the, you know, down there, Oscar. They came to him and said, we will give you free advertising, as much free advertising as you want on cable TV, if you allow us to come in and video the, the live, you know, tape the thing, not tape it, but show it live, bring cameras in, bring a double camera with the booms, the whole thing, so we can do the conference or do the, the crusade live, we'll give you free taping. Now, the reason why they wanted to do it was they knew the ratings would be high because these two singers are very popular. Right? They knew how popular these singers are, and so they, they gave us free advertising, which would have cost thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, free advertising for the crusade, just so that they could come in and be the um, people that got to show it on their stations. Well, what they also did was, part of the agreement was, they said yes on, on the condition that you also that you also put it on public, that you let the public station have it as well. And so they agreed to it. So talk about the favor of God, right? We got free advertising, plus we got the whole entire country of Honduras on, on national cable, plus the public stations, and it went clear over our, into Guatemala. So, I mean, it covered like a big part of Central America. The crusade did both nights because these two big-name singers. And so that the people wouldn't leave, we had the singers sing first for about an hour, and then would get up and would do a, a message and a gospel for about an hour, and then say, but wait, don't leave the singer's going to come back for an hour at the end. So it's like a three-hour thing. Singer first, us in the middle, singer come back at the end because the singer told us, hey, I've seen people try this in the past. Like the one singer, 50-some years old, he lives in Miami, half Cuban, 
uh, half Central American guy, and he said, I've seen people do this in the past, and he said, if you have me go first, they will leave as soon as I'm done. They won't stay for the gospel message. So we said, all right, then we're going we're gonna to have you go for an hour in the first, then we'll do the middle, and then we'll have you go for an hour at the end. So that's what we did. So the first night of the crusade, again, we've got roughly 7,000 or more people inside. We've got a couple thousand people out back that can't get in. And uh, the guy goes through his deal, and it's my turn to come up, and I give my message, and I give the message, and now it's Bruce Carlson's turn, and he's going to get 15 minutes to give salvation. Well, when you're working with an interpreter, you cut it in half. So basically, he's got eight minutes to give a salvation message, eight minutes of talking. So he comes up, and he's given the salvation message, and guess what happened right before he's about to invite people to receive Jesus? Like, within 30-second perfect window, it starts raining cats and dogs. In fact, I took a picture of it on my cell phone. I, we were in a, uh, so you got all the bleachers. You got all the bleachers out in front of us, and they were wide. This top part of the bleachers fit 5,500 people. So you had a 5,500 people in, the, in this part, and just the very top portion had a metal roof. There was a metal roof right at the very top portion, and the rest of it was all open. You had 500 people out here in the open, and then, so then you've got like over a thousand people down here on the end, all out in the open. And so when it started raining, just as he's about to invite and receive Jesus, what do the people do? They ran, they scattered, they're trying to run up into the, underneath that little, like pack in even tighter than they already were underneath that little bitty tin roof, which you wouldn't fit. People are talking and I mean, it just, it goes in a total chaos, right? Well, before it does, I'm going to back up. I left this out. I'm giving my message. I'm giving my message, my part, and I'm watching my watch. I know how much time I've got, and I'm getting my message, and I get this soft, gentle whisper, this soft prompting of the Holy Spirit that says, go ahead and do the salvation message. Just finish. Finish it off. It goes right in. Just do the salvation message. So I get to the end, I'm thinking, is that you, God? Right? Is that God, or is that my pride? Do I think, what, do I think I can do the salvation better than he did? He's done it this his whole life. So I'm starting going, is that you, God, or is that pride? Is that me? Is that you? Who is that? Who is that? And I'm just starting to freak out as I'm talking. In my head, I'm having this, this war. So I started in on salvation message. I started giving it. I started working into the way I would do it if I was working alone. And I got right to the point where I'm about to ask him to do it. And I, Bruce is, st- now what he's done, he's standing right next to me. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And you're cutting in on my time here, right? And I'm like, oh, so I just gave it over to him. He starts to give it. It starts to rain. As soon as it started to rain, all of a sudden in my gut, the Holy Spirit speaks and said, you were disobedient. Again, (laughs) two years in a row. You didn't listen to me. I told you to give the salvation message. I told you to give the salvation message. This is why. If you would have been there to look out and see the people run and scramble when the rain hit. It was like a knife in the heart. It was horrible. They just, I mean, he's right in the middle of it, just about to do it, and they just, it starts raining so hard. I took a picture, and on my cell phone, it looked like pure water. It looked like just pure water coming down. I mean, it was just solid. That's what my picture looks like on my phone. So he does his thing, and just like a few hands. It was just like, for 7,000 people, it was ridiculous. Just like very, very small amount of hands went up. And so I was just like, oh, man, oh, man. So I'm in the back. Now picture the platform that's in the middle of the soccer field and all the, all the bleachers. I'm in the back, and I'm uh, sick to my stomach because of my disobedience. 
right? Last year I blew it. It was 1,100, 1,200 people. This year I blow it and it's over 7,000 people. And I know it's because of my disobedience, because of me not listening. I'm literally sick to my stomach. And so I'm back there in the naughty corner. At my house, when I grew up, we had a, a corner in, the, in this living room area. And my, if I was naughty, my mom would go make me put my nose in the corner, literally, and stand there for long periods of time. There was a mark on the wall because I was there lots, right? And so I like did it. I'm back in the back of the thing and I'm going, oh God, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. And I'm repenting. And I'm saying, God, I'm sorry. You know, all these people, <laughs> their salvations are on the line and I wasn't obedient. And <laughs> so I'm back there and I'm apologizing and I'm saying, I'm sorry. I'm repenting for my sin. It was sin. Disobedience is sin, no matter how you cut it. So I'm back there repenting. And I, he gets done and I just see him. He's like kind of like shaking his head. And so I walked up and I grabbed the microphone. And at the point that I grabbed the microphone in my hand, the Holy Spirit spoke to me right then. Uh, I've got the microphone in my hand. And this is what God said. He's given me another chance to be obedient. And I'm thinking, well, I've already blown it. It's too late. He said, I had a choice. He said, I'm giving you another chance to be obedient. He said, you've got a choice. In front of national television, with who knows how many people at home watching, in front of 7,000 people, command it to stop raining in the name of Jesus. Or, (laughs) or just cower and take it. Right? So now there was more on the line. See, if I would have been obedient the first time, it would have been a whole lot easier than the pressure I was feeling right at that second. But I didn't want to blow it, so I, I went to the crowd. I, I said to the crowd something, I, and I don't remember my exact words, but it was something along the lines of, okay, you guys heard my testimony. You heard me say that Jesus does miracles today. I, and I'm yelling, you know, because cause the, the, the noise of the rain was so loud. I'm yelling as loud as I can. In fact, just from like that five minutes of what happened over the next five minutes, I basically lost my voice for the next four days. Um, so I'm yelling as loud as I can, saying, you know, you guys heard my story. You heard about Jesus. He does miracles. I believe Jesus does miracles today. Is there anybody here that will pray with me for the rain to stop? Is there anybody here that will pray with me for the rain to stop? And, you know, I saw some of the people, like, come out from underneath the tin roof at that point. Some of the, and those must be, the, you know, the Christians came out from underneath the tin roof. And there was lots of people that couldn't get underneath the tin roof. And they're just, you know, holding up you know, their hands over their head in the rain, whatever. And so, at that point, I pointed the, my finger to the sky and I screamed out as loud as I could, in the name of Jesus, I command the rain to stop right now. Now, Joan was already praying for the rain to stop. Leah was already praying. I mean, there was, the whole team was already praying for the rain to stop, but the rain hadn't stopped. This was a bigger fight than just one person, right? This was a bigger spiritual battle than just one person. The enemy knew what was at stake there. And so I scream out for it to stop, and I said, now, seriously, people, pray with me, you guys, come on. And so we're praying as a group, and as the group, this, whoever was Christian there praying for the rain to stop, it began to right on cue, get less and less. And it got to about half. Now, what, the, what we had planned beforehand, before we ever knew it was going to rain, before any of it, what we had planned was this. Uh, Pastor Tom from St. Luke's, the old church that I used to go to, and Paul, his wife, she blows the shofar. And so she had a shofar. 
the biblical trumpet from the Bible, right? So she's got one. And uh, we had set up beforehand, before, before, you know, hours before this happened, we had set up that she was going to come up on, up on the platform and she's going to stand next to me. And I'm going to do a group prayer over the whole place, you know, just a group prayer for, for miracles and whatever after Bruce does salvation. I'm going to do a group prayer over the whole place and she's going to blow the shofar. So we had it all set up. So she was there in advance. So she's standing next to me. I had had her set up so that she was going to be standing next to me. So we commanded to stop raining in the name of Jesus. It lessens. And I said, come on, people, you got to pray with me. It lessens, right? But it's still raining. And then the Lord speaks. He says, have her blow the shofar now. So I just reached over with the microphone. I nodded at her and she blows the shofar. And I put the mic in the end of the shofar. And I'm not kidding you. And Joan can tell you and Leah can tell you. Right on cue. When she blew the shofar, it stopped perfectly. The rain stopped. I mean, it had been raining crazy hard. It had reduced when we started to pray, but it was still raining hard. And when she blew the shofar right on cue, it just dried up. I mean, gone. Nothing. Not another drop coming down. So, yeah. So all the people that just saw this happen, right? They just saw it with their own eyes. They freaked out. You should have seen them. I mean, the people were screaming at the top of their lungs. The whole place just ignited. I mean, it just, it just blew up. People were screaming like crazy across the whole place. And, and I know a little bit of Spanish to know they were all calling out to God. They weren't just, you know, rooting like you're going to be rooting at a football game. They were calling out to God. They were praising God. That's what was happening. I mean, it just ignited. They were just going off. And so... Um, I, I'm saying, do you guys pe- realize what just happened? You just saw a miracle. We just saw a miracle happen with our own eyes, just like something that would happen in the Bible. We just all saw it with our own eyes. And, you know, I'm getting them, you know, to contemplate exactly what just happened and what they just saw. And so at that point, um, you know, I redid the salvation message. I, I redid salvation. Literally hundreds of hands went up. Literally. We were trying to, you know, it was so hard to tell. We were trying to guesstimate. I can't tell you. I just know everybody that was on the platform said, when you looked out across, definitely it was hundreds of hands. So hundreds of people received Jesus, asked him into their heart. We went through the sinner's prayer. Lord, I repent. That's the first part, right? I repent of my sin. I'm sorry for my sin. And then asked him in, right? So it was, it was cool because that happened. But then what else happened? And again, Lee and Joan, if Todd was here, he could tell you. Then we invited people down. We did a group prayer. And a whole bunch of people got healed right where they were at. We got all kinds of testimonies of people that got healed from all kinds of crazy stuff right where they're at. And then we said, if you didn't get healed or you didn't get what you were looking for, God, come down on the, on the soccer field and line up against that wall and we're going to pray for you and, you know, lay on the hands. And the team came down and they prayed for the people and people were just getting healed left and right. I mean, just... It didn't matter. It basically didn't matter what it was. And it was just so easy. I mean, there's times when you pray and it's a real struggle. It's like you're fighting through, you're, you're waging the war in the prayer. It wasn't like that there. I mean, it was just stuff was just happening. So easy, so easy, so easy when we were praying. Just thing after thing, just so easy. So the, so bottom line is this, you know, Jeremiah 15 verse 19 says this. I'm, I'm just going to open up to it here. Jeremiah 15, chapter 15, verse 19. I'm reading out of NIV. It says, therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you repent, I will restore you, that you may serve me. Now, think about this. 
If you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. God is telling us today, how does it apply to you and me? Well, it applies to every one of us in our life. When we repent, God says he'll restore us. We're supposed to repent as we, as we think about the, when we take communion and the, and the blood being the wine and the, the bread being the body and we repent first. We, that's what it means to take communion in a worthy manner. Repenting of our sins, knowing that God, Jesus paid a healthy price, his death, to take away our sins, right? We receive salvation the same way, but we repent first. It talks about in James 5, and everybody leaves this off, and I'm guilty of it. I leave it off. If, and there's a lot of people that could quote this with me. If any of you are sick, go to the elders of the church, be anointed with oil, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And then it goes on and says, confess your sins that you may be healed. Confess your sins, repent, that you may be healed, right? Repentance is a huge part of everything that God does. It's a huge part of it. And again, I mean, even if you look at what it says there in Jeremiah, if you repent, God's saying it's an if-then statement. If you repent, then I will restore you that you may serve me. If you repent, I'll restore you that you may serve me. So I wanted to share that testimony and just go through just a, uh, just a few blanket statements where this applies to everybody's life. So as I was praying about it and asking, Lord, this is something. Now apply this to your life. Lord is saying that when we are disobedient, and I don't know, am I the only one here that's disobedient? Is there any, do I have anybody here that's in company with me? You know, I always say that I preach on my own shortcomings and downfalls. That way I never run out of material. See, and I just was in Honduras. I got some fresh material, right? So the Lord is saying that when we are disobedient, when we are disobedient, he gives us the opportunity to repent. Now, we get the choice. If we do, he is able to turn things around for good again, right? So what did he do in the, in the case of, the, of me disobeying? I disobeyed. I didn't give the salvation message before it rained, right? That was disobedience. Then he said, okay, now you got a choice. Repent. So I went back. I repented. And he said, okay, now you can, now the pressure is really on, which it, it shouldn't be. I shouldn't think like that, but it felt like that. Standing in front of that mic, in front of the, the TV camera and all those people to command it to stop raining. And he said, now you've got a choice, right? Command it to stop raining or just, or just sit back. And so what he had done was he had smoothed things in place. See, and he made it turn out for the good because once it quit raining, I'll guarantee we saw more salvations. We saw more salvations because those people saw it quit raining in the name of Jesus than we would have if it wouldn't have rained. Do you see how it worked? So God turned something that the devil meant for bad, he turned around and made it for good. Not because of, uh, not because of anything I did for the good, but just simply in his mercy and grace, that's what he's able to do. See, another point, because he is all-knowing, he knows what we're going to do. He knows the right choices we're going to make. Every one of us here today. He knows the times that we're going to blow it, and he knows the right choices we're going to make. And because he's all-knowing, he arranges things in advance, knowing what our choices, what our personal decisions are going to be. He arranges things in advance, just like somebody that's a, a playing the game of chess. He puts things in advance, arranges things, so that he gives us the opportunity when and if we repent, right? He already has the peace in place so that there can still be a victory. So that's the good news for us today. That means 
Even when we blow it, God loves us so much, he's so powerful, that he's still got plan B set up so that when we repent and we come back to him and we are obedient, he's got the pieces arranged so that it can still work out for our benefit and for the benefit of other people. Amen? Is that good news or not? So, what he had done was, in this case, put on her heart to have Paula stand next to me so she could bowl the shofar over the whole place before we ever knew it was going to rain, right? So he had already put those pieces in advance. He had already placed everything already there in advance. Now, I sat up the whole night. I got one hour of sleep that night because I played it in my mind over and over and over of what the way it turned out, the way it could have turned out. I was, I was trying to figure it all out in my head. And I fully believe this. I fully believe that if I wouldn't have gone in the corner and repented, if I wouldn't have gone in the corner and repented when I stood up and grabbed the microphone, there's no way I would have commanded the rain to stop in the name of Jesus. It wouldn't have happened. It would not have happened. Those people wouldn't have received salvation. That none of it would have played together, right? None of it would have played the way God wanted to. So he, he gives us free will. God honors our free will. He gives it to us, hoping that we'll make the right choice. And when we don't make the right choice, giving us another chance. Giving us another chance. Throwing another ball at us. If, we're, you know, right? if it's a pitcher, he throws another one so we can take another swing at it, Right? And if we repent and open him up, because that, what that does, repentance does, it opens him up to give the, him the opportunity to step into our lives and move, right? So here's another thing that the Lord showed me about that night as I was praying through this thing. So he had Paula already ready to go so that she was going to blow the shafar and it was going to completely end right there. So that's the way it all worked out. So some of our group... Some of our group had been praying. So this is another point to think about. Some of our group had been praying already for it to stop raining, but it didn't, right? The reason why is because it was too big of a battle for one person to pray. It had to be a group effort. The whole crowd had to pray for it to stop raining. It wasn't just my prayer. It wasn't just the shofar. It was the whole crowd in unity. So it's why Jesus only prayed one thing for, the, for us, the New Testament believers. In John, before he leaves, he has one prayer that he prays for the church to come. Lord, let them be in unity. That's the only thing he prayed. That's it. That's like his one request. Lord, let them be in unity. Unity is important. And the reason why it's important is because when we're in unity, things happen. And here's the thing. There is a negative power when there's disunity. People know that from their family, right? If there's disunity going on, if there's strife going on in the home, there's a negative power that's stirred up there. Just like there's a positive power for unity. And it, it, it works in the family circle just as much and even bigger. It compounds in like the church. When, this, when the church is in unity, we can pray for things to happen. And it's a whole lot more effective and powerful than it's just one person. Right? And so we had, you know, whoever was Christian in that place that night praying for it to stop raining as a whole group, as a whole group was a lot more powerful than just two people or five people praying. So I bring it up and I feel like Lord is having me bring it up for a reason for you guys. You know what? As a family, your, your family, pray together as a family. Your, your, your family, your husband, your wife, whatever your family unit looks like, you should be praying together, right? And then now this, as a, as a church, as a church, we need to know that we need to be in unity with each other. And if there's strife, basically, if you got a heartache, if you got a gripe with someone, go sort it out. Go get it settled. Instead of letting the strife just be there, go take care of it, amen? So that you can be in unity, because that's what God wants us to be, so that there won't be division, so there won't be strife, and so that God can get done and get accomplished what he wants to get done. Now, here's something good. Here's the good news. After we blow it, and there's something bad happens, 
Maybe it's somebody else blows it and something bad happens because of something that somebody else did in our life. Or maybe it's because we blow it and we've made a bad choice. We've been disobedient. The good news is that when God restores, he always makes it better than before. It's a rule. It's a precept that we find in the Bible. When God restores something, he doesn't just take it back to what it was. He always makes it better. Okay, so there's a couple different things. Job 42 verse 10 says this. Job didn't just get, you know, we know the story of Job, right? Everything, I mean, the crap hit the fan. He had a bad, like, couple months, a year, right, in his life. Everything got real ugly for him. He lost it all. But it says that how much got restored? Twice as, 42.10 says twice as much. He didn't just get, get his stuff back or his life back. It says he got twice as much back. There's, that's a principle. When God restores, he always makes it better. God always makes it better. When Jesus died and lost his life, Jesus died. He lost his life. God restored his life, but he didn't just restore his life. He made it possible so everybody could have eternal salvation. Right? It was restoration, not just for Jesus, but for humanity as a whole. Uh, when the accident happened and my back got, my vertebrae got broken in my back, when, when my back got healed, when God healed my back, he didn't restore my back to the way it was before the accident because you know what? Before the accident, I had a bad back. I had hurt my back as a kid lifting too big of pieces for wood because we burned wood at my house, my dad's house. And so I had hurt my back as a, as a kid, like 14, 15-year-old kid, lifting way too big of pieces. God didn't restore my back to the way it was before the accident. God restored my back to the way it was before I ever hurt it. My back is stronger than it was ever. Even though it was totally crushed and wrecked, God restored my back to the before it was ever. Ever. Does that make sense? It's always better. He always does more, right? I could tell you plenty of stories. I might have mentioned there's a guy that had a creative miracle in his arm down on the border of Illinois and Iowa. He had three inches missing out of his arm. And we prayed God did a creative miracle. It had been 32 years. 32 years his arm was messed up from a motorcycle accident. God gave him three inches of arm back. His arm was now straight. I mean, it was a complete full miracle. And what the guy told me later was his bad arm, his, his atrophied bad arm that was crooked and all messed up and broken was stronger than his good arm. God didn't restore it equal to what it should have been. God made it better than what it was. His good arm was now weaker than his bad arm. His bad arm was now a lot more strong. And again, we see that over and over and over and over and over again. Um, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of different ones that we could use. Um, maybe just because of time, I'm going to cut off some of these that I was planning on sharing. If you think about, if you think about the, the night of the crusade again, more people received Jesus more people received Jesus than they would have. When God did the restoration of having those people come, more people received Jesus than they would have because they saw the rain stop in the name of Jesus, right? And so for them, that was proof. I, had, I can't tell you, there was a whole bunch of people that came up to me that night and said this, and then the next night too. You know, I called myself a Christian, but I have to admit I doubted because I've never seen a miracle. But when I saw it stop raining, instantly in the name of Jesus, now I know that I know that I know that God is real. There was loads of people that were saying that, right? I mean, it's always a bonus when God gives us something that we can see in the natural. And we're supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. But when he gives us those nuggets, right? So the singer that first night, this is a guy, his name is Danny Burrios. He's from Miami. This is a guy who's in his mid to late 50s. He's been doing Christian singing 
his whole life. That's what he, his dad was a pastor. He's been in Christian ministry as far as singing his whole life. He told us, we saw him at the airport, and I got to spend like 15 minutes talking to him at the airport. Days later, he said this. He said, in my whole ministry, he said, I've traveled a lot of evangelists. He said, I've never, ever seen anything like that. I've never seen anything like that. And he said, now this is what crazy. He goes, the next night. So he was with us one night, and then he went off to another part of Honduras, and he did a crusade somewhere else with somebody else. And guess what happened? It started raining. In his, in his concert, it started raining. But he remembered what he had seen the night before. And this is what he told me. He said, I got on the microphone, and I told the people, look, guess what happened last night? And he told them what happened the night before, and he said, I think that the same God who's God over there in Puerto Cortez is God right here in San Pedro Sula. And I think that the same God that heard and answered that prayer over there will do it right now. So let's all of us pray that it'll stop raining right now in the name of Jesus. And guess what happened? Instantly, right there, it stopped raining. Right? Right there, it stopped raining. So again, what it did was it raised, he saw it one time, it raised his faith. It raised his faith so that he could do it. So he could operate in it. So that he could believe that God would be the one, right? So he... Stepped out of the boat like Peter, right? He got on that, that water and he did it. Now, he, um, man, he actually travels. He was raised Baptist and there are certain denominations that don't believe in healing today, right? They just don't believe in healing today. And the people that were with him were of the Baptist theology and didn't believe in healing. And this, it was his brother-in-law's, I believe his brother-in-law's girlfriend, this woman that was with them, but she was Baptist and she ended up emailing later saying that when we did the group prayer, after she saw it quit raining in the name of Jesus, when we did the group prayer of the whole entire place, she ended up getting healed completely from a stomach, a chronic stomach thing that she'd had for several years, right? Now, so it's really hard that if you've been taught that God doesn't heal today, if you've been taught over and over that God doesn't heal today, it's, it, that's a barrier for you to receive your healing. But she saw God do what he did then it raised her faith up enough to receive what God had for her that night, right? And that's what God wants us, each one of us here today to do. He wants us to be little Holy Spirit arsonists and going out and starting that fire in people's hearts so that they can believe that God will, you know, first of all, that God is real. Second of all, that God loves them and that he wants to do miracles in their life. Faith is contagious, right? Faith is contagious, and uh, when we operate in, the, in faith and just are obedient, and we can't do any of that, see, we can't do any of that is un- until we repent. That's the first thing, all of it. We've got to repent first. And that's why, you know, if I had a name for this message, it'd be power of repentance. And you know, I use the example of the crusade and how that worked, but I can tell you a lot, a lot of the times in my life where nothing turned around and nothing got better, nothing got better until there was repentance. So I'm going to end it with this. A um, couple little quick things. I've done over 500 services since being in ministry. The, probably the number one top high watermark service in my mind was a time in Canada. I was traveling with this uh, evangelist from Canada, and the, it was just off the hook, crazy, crazy, crazy power of God. We were in the front, and we just saw this guy get healed that was deaf in both ears. He was deaf in both ears. He was, it was, as I was standing in the podium, he was right over there, second row. He never heard a word, second row, he never heard a word I said the whole message. He did not hear a word I said. That's how deaf he was. We prayed and the God totally opened up the guy's ears. And so the, the guy that I was traveling with, he shared about a time where he had seen somebody get healed from, from being deaf. And he exaggerated just a little bit. He exaggerated just a little bit. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him right on the spot and said, okay, you guys have seen all kinds of miracles, but you know what? 
If you don't repent right now in front of these 300, 400 people for what you just did, for exaggerating about the miracle, if you don't repent right now, not one more miracle is going to happen in this place tonight. And I was shocked when the guy, all of a sudden, I saw him get all funny, and he said, I got to have the microphone back. And I gave him the microphone back, and he said, you know what? When I said that the guy was doing this, he really wasn't doing that. I was just excited about telling the story and really just trying to get my point across. He said the guy didn't really do all that, but he was healed from deafness. And God told me that if I didn't repent right now for exaggerating that story, then not another miracle would happen here tonight. And he said, you know what? This night is starting to go so good, I don't want to be the one that messes it up. And that night, really, and out of five, let's say 500 plus services, still in my mind is the number one top service I've ever been allowed to be a part of. But it would have just stopped right there. And I believe what he said, that God spoke to him, I believe that was true. We prayed for a woman. We prayed for a woman that um, she had years and years, and I could tell you a bunch of stories just like this, but years and years and years of pain in her stomach. And all of a sudden, God gave a word of knowledge, and he said, you have unforgiveness for your father. Well, it turns out her father had sexually molested her as a child. And so it was just at the crusade. I mean, I've seen it many, many times, but just again, it just happened at the crusade again. And I told her, if you don't forgive your dad, if you don't forgive your dad for sexually abusing you, the pain is never going to go away. You've got to actually repent. You've actually got to repent and say you're sorry for having unforgiveness for your dad. She did. And guess what? God instantly healed her right on the spot. If she wouldn't have repented, I know that I know that I know because God said it. If she wouldn't have repented for her unforgiveness, God wouldn't have healed her. It wouldn't have happened. So how does it apply to us? There are things that we need to repent of in our life. Bottom line, that's it. We, there's things that we need to repent of in our life. Maybe things that happened a long time ago. Maybe things that are happening right now in our life. But when we do, God promises, God promises that he will make things right, just like he did at the crusade. So I'd just like you to pray with me. This, we'll, we'll finish with this prayer. So if you just bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, right now we just come to you knowing that you know everything. God, there's nothing that's gone underneath your radar. And a lot of times we just go through the motions and we pray certain prayers or do certain things and we don't even think about uh, the people that we've hurt or ourselves, that we've done things against ourselves or even against you. So Lord, right now we're just going to take the opportunity to... We're just going to repent in our heart, Lord, for the things that you bring up. So we pray, Lord, if there's things in our heart that shouldn't be there, God, things that we haven't repented of, things that we haven't asked for your forgiveness of, we just ask right now, God, that you would bring those things up and you would remind us of them so that we can repent. So even as we just take uh, 15 seconds of silence, Lord, we turn these things over to you and we repent. Lord, we're sorry for the things that we've done to hurt you. We are sorry for the things that we've done to hurt other people. We're sorry for the things that we've even done to hurt ourselves and those in our life. Lord, um, with every head bowed and every eye closed, we know, God, that we can't have salvation. We can't have the gift of eternal life unless we've accepted you in our heart, repented of our sins, Lord. And so, God, even if there was one person here today who has never asked you into their heart, even if there was one person here today, God, that has never asked you into their heart, have never repented of their sins, Lord, we all know that uh, it's clear, miracles happen. I mean, my story, many, many healings that we know of, healings like crazy all over the world, different miracles that you do all the time, proves that you're real. But even the, peop- 
like myself, somebody that was raised from the dead, are still going to die again. And Lord, we know that the only miracle that lasts forever is eternal salvation. That a blind eye gets opened, a deaf ear gets opened, but one day they'll die again. And that, that ear won't work and that eye won't work. But we know, God, that in heaven, you say everything is perfect. And all the people have had out-of-body experiences and all the people that have experienced hell and then been brought back or experienced heaven and brought back. We know that eternity is a reality that we all must face and we all need to know where we're going. So again, Lord, with every head bowed and with every eye closed, if you're, if you're here today and you don't know that you know that you know that if you died, you'd go to heaven, if you've never repented of your sins and asked Jesus in your heart, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to raise your hand right where you're at. If you want to make him your Lord and Savior right now, just raise it up high right there, right where you're at. Okay, go ahead and put the hands down. So, you know what? I just encourage everybody to just repeat. Every, if you're comfortable with this, the whole place. If you're already Christian, it's great. Do it again. Just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. I have done things that hurt you and other people. I am a sinner and I know it. This day, I ask for and receive your forgiveness. This day, I want you to be Lord of my life. This day, Holy Spirit, I invite you in. Turn me into the person you want me to be. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Norm is going to come up right now. And uh, after he takes care of some business there...